Jesus calls all of us to go and make disciples of all nations. The people of Sugar Creek are passionate about helping people in need and introducing them to the love of Jesus, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. At Sugar Creek, we're committed to making Christ known here in our community and all across the world because he's given us a mission and a purpose to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. We're not a little church. We are a mighty army. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. And all of you that are online, we're so grateful that you're with us today. And some of you, this is your very first time. I don't know how you heard about us, but I am so, so glad. And we welcome you to the service today. And all of our campuses, we've come together to hear God's word, to talk about the Lord, to worship him. And it is a joy that you're here. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever skipped a rock at a lake or a pond, you've skipped the rock onto the water. How many of you have ever done that with you? Raise your hand. I can see people online that are raising their hand. I'm not surprised. And everywhere I look, the hands are raised. And it's kind of, you got to do it. You, you go to a pond, a lake, you, you automatically pick up a rock. You got to skip the rock. Now, the idea of skipping the rock is you get as flat of a rock as you can, and you throw it sideways, and you want to get as many skips before it drops into the water. It's sort of, I mean, a human thing to do, I guess. I don't know. All my life, I've done it. But I never considered it as a profession, that's the weird thing. But I came across an article, it was four weeks ago or something, that, that I couldn't believe my eyes. There are tournaments for rock skipping, which tells me there's, got to, there's tournaments for everything. Now I am convinced, no matter what the topic, there is a tournament somewhere. And there's a particular guy that has won the national tournament 17 times. In fact, I read in the article that in 2013, he skipped the rock so many times that it defied, defied science. That's what the article said. Now, I would tell you his name, but I, unfortunately, I can't because I'm going to tell you the rest of the article. They interviewed him, and he really got dirt on us, and he said many years ago, he got addicted to rock skipping. To the point he lost his marriage and his family and his job. And he said about himself, I, I'm dirt poor and I'm totally miserable, but I can't stop only thinking about skipping rocks. He said, I think about it all day long. I'm out there skipping rocks, trying to get one more skip. And I, as I was reading the article, I thought, what a tragedy. 
We got one life to live. That's all we get. We don't get multiple lives. We get one life to live. I don't want to get to the end of my life and all that can be said about me is I skipped rocks better than other people. Surely we can do more with our life. Surely our life can mean more than that. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. That's why almost all the series that we talk about here that I either teach or our teaching team teaches is about living that full life in, in Christ. Uh, we talked about how to be a better parent earlier in the year and then dealing with pain. How do you go through pain? And make the most of it and understand what God is doing and how to gain the power of God to work through it so this becomes actually an advantage, not a disadvantage in your life. We talked about identity, whole series on identity out of Ephesians chapter 1 about how does God see us? Who are we really? We talked about prayer, how to, how to get what you pray for. How you really can get in touch with God. And we just came out of a series, Power Living. And we dealt with the principles of this will change your life kind of series. Because we care about people maturing and growing and discipling closer and closer to God. Living the full life. Not only can individuals just waste their life, but churches can too. I'm reading articles I have read for many years, articles of churches that fortress, they build this fortress around and it's all about them. Their whole church is about them. It's not about reaching people, it's all about taking care of us. It's all about us. But that was never what God intended any church to be. He intended for us to be outwardly focused yeah, we're taking care of each other, but, but the emphasis in our life is reaching other people that need Christ, enlarging the size of heaven. And that has been who this church has been all these years. 48 years ago, a group of people felt God was calling them to plant a new church. They called it Sugar Creek Baptist Church, just a small little group. And look what God's done. I think they could have never dreamed that Sugar Creek would become what Sugar Creek is today because it would have just been way out there, but here it is. We've had the, the pastors who've preceded me are just amazing, dynamic, incredible men. But I've said to so many people that uh, Mickey Mouse could lead this church, and maybe he is. I don't know. But... The reason is because this church is so focused. This church knows who it is. This church knows what the job is. And we are so focused in reaching people that don't know Christ and then growing people that do know Christ so that they will in turn reach people who don't know Christ. This church is so focused. But even if we are, though we are, Every so often, we got to stop for a few moments and sort of have family time in which, you know, families have family gatherings where we talk family and we talk about some issue that the family's having. 
And every so often, a church needs to do the same thing, sort of, sort of come back in and say, okay, who are we? Where are we going? What is, who, who are we supposed to be? What has God said to us? And sort of have some family talk. And in essence, that's what this series, it's a short series, but what this series is about, going back and re-looking at who we are, what the call is, what the goal is. And we're calling the series Love, Lead, and life change. And that, those are not new words to us. They're all part of our purpose statement. And we usually, we always, at the end of every service, we, we say, we re, repeat the purpose statement together. But how about in, the, in the, the beginning of the message? How about this? Can you do that with me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. And our members, our people at Sugar Creek, whether they're members or or guests that are with us, we all know it from the littlest child to the oldest adult. We all know it. It's who we are. But I think it's good every so often to stop and in our hearts, rehearse it again. And that's what I want to do. Uh, The the passage I want to talk about is in uh, Acts chapter one and good grief. We've been in that We've, I've taught that twice since I've been here as your pastor and lead pastor, and, and others have taught it too. So it's not like a new passage at all. It's like, okay, I think we've heard this, but I'm going to try my best to have some new understanding and insight, and I want to look at it again. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, listen to what he says, but you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he'd said that, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. There goes Jesus. He's ascending up to heaven. And as the disciples were looking intently at Jesus, and they watched him as he went to heaven, there were two men that were angels that were dressed in white who said to them, you men of Judea or Israel, you men of Galilee, why, they said, why are you standing here and looking so intently up into heaven? This same one that you saw go into heaven will one day come back from heaven. And when they heard that, they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Now fast forward to verse 14. And they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, the his brothers in the last part of verse 14 is not talking about spiritual brothers. It's talking about actual physical family, siblings, brothers. We know that James, who wrote the book of James, was Jesus's brother in his family. And Jude, who wrote the book of Jude in the New Testament, was the brother of Jesus as well. Now, these were not followers. His, his siblings were not followers of him during his ministry, but he appeared, at, we know at least to James, after his resurrection, and perhaps to others we don't know. But they all became believers. But it was this, He's not our brother. He is our savior. He is our Lord. Now, they struggled with Jesus before his resurrection. And I think it was jealousy more than likely. I want you to imagine that your sibling, your brother or sister, 
is the Messiah. Wouldn't that frustrate the life out of you? I mean, they're perfect. They never sin, never do anything wrong. Everybody's talking about how great they are. No wonder. No wonder they couldn't wait to get rid of him. But when they found out he truly was the Messiah, they committed themselves to him as well. So it ends, the passage ends with that notation. Now, what is it that God from this passage is wanting us to grasp? And the first thing is this, that a church that does God's purpose has God's blessing has God's blessing on it. Acts 1, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. We have a goal. We have a calling that is not just church, it is individual as well to be witnesses. Jesus invited his disciples, his followers, to be the mouthpiece of Christ, the legs, the arm, the heart of Jesus physically on this earth. Jesus had left, ascended to heaven, but you and I are Jesus on this earth. When people look at our lives, if we don't reflect God, then we do injustice to him because we are the witnesses for Christ on this earth no one else is going to do it and these disciples took it seriously Jesus said I've come to seek and save those which are lost and now I give you that call and the disciples took that seriously we know that because of what happened but also did you know we still have writings of government officials from the Roman Empire who describe Christians you know how they describe Christians they keep talking about this guy named Jesus but they are so loving. Yeah. That's what they say about Christians. They are so loving. Now listen to me. First century Roman Empire was the most hedonistic, corrupt, godless culture you can imagine. In other words, I am describing America today. What I'm saying is, is that 21st century America is now almost, in the last 50 years or so, almost back to 1st century Roman Empire. We're almost there. You find out, you see all the way they handled things, even the whole uh, killing their babies and all that. You see everything they were doing in 1st century, we're doing the same thing now. But in the midst of that, they did not find Christians who were mean and hateful. They found Christians who were loving. Yeah, but don't you see what's happening in our culture? Yeah, but you don't ever change anyone's heart by being mean. People's heart are changed by the love of Christ coming through us. When we love, it doesn't mean we accept a lifestyle that is wrong, that the Bible says is wrong. It means we know how to love people, even if we don't like what they do. And that's the way they were in first century. And I'm going to tell you, the end result was, in a matter of time, they had changed the entire empire. God has a purpose 
for us individually and as a church, he has a perp, two ideas, got two parts, loving and leading people to Christ. Loving. You're never going to lead anybody to Christ if you're not loving. Loving and leading people to Christ. And then second of all, being used by God to help those come, that come to know Christ to experience life change. And both of these are not just their job in first century, they're our job now. Now, there's some downsides to it. Here's the first downside. When you come to church, you can't find a parking place. You come to church and the, all the parking spaces are gone and you're driving around and you're thinking to yourself, I, at least, I wish at least one family did not come so I'd have a place to park. Now, how we have tried to solve that is off-site parking and we got all these buses you're seeing that keep traveling around. And by the way, if you do park off campus, you get on and out of here faster than anybody else. Have you ever seen what it looks like when 11 o'clock service is over or even 9.30 and you go out? to your car and there it's just like how am i ever going to get out of here but let me tell you you park off campus you're there in a second you are off because it's not as congested but one of the downsides is you can't find a parking place the other downside is somebody is always sitting in your seat you come in what are you doing what has happened here somebody is sitting in your seat this happened to me early in my ministry. It would never happen at Sugar Creek, but it happened in a church. I had just been there a few months. We were starting to really click and it was going. And then I, at the end of the service, I had a woman come to me in tears. And I thought, I, the sermon wasn't that bad. I mean, you're coming to me in tears. And she came to me in tears and she said, I'm devastated. And I asked her why. And she said, there's someone that I love that does not know God. And I've invited that person to church, invited, invited, invited. They've said, no, no, no. But they said yes this time, and they were here today. We agreed to meet, and we'd sit together. I was so excited. She said, I was still in small group when they came. She, my friend came early. And she came in, and she walked in the worship center, and she just sat down. And somebody walked up to her and said, uh, ma'am, you are sitting in my seat. Yeah. And the woman explained it to her friend that's in, in the church. She said, I didn't know there were assigned seats. I, I was totally innocent. I just sat down. So she moved to another place and somebody else came and said, uh, I'm sorry, but you are sitting in my seat. And she left. This woman that came to me just crying, she said, you, you have no idea how hard I have worked because I love her, I want her to come to know my Lord. And our members drove her away so they could sit in their lousy seat. She was so mad. There is a pastor friend that I've known in the past, and he's in heaven now, but he was in uh, West Texas in the Panhandle, a little town, a little church. And you know, uh, when you're in a little town, everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business. I mean, they know everything about everybody else. And in that town, there was a woman that was known for being very immoral. Well, 
that woman was a single mom and she had a little girl and she wanted her little girl to learn about Jesus. Good for her. She took her little girl to VBS, Vacation Bible School, all week long in this church of the friend of mine. And of all things, her little girl accepted Jesus and was going to now be baptized. So she went through the counseling and all that. And she was about to, she, they scheduled her baptism. And obviously this woman wanted to see her little girl baptized. Now, the pastor was scared. He was more scared than the woman. The woman was scared to come into the church, but the pastor was even more scared because he said, I don't know what people will do. Everybody knows everybody's business in a little town. And he said, she walked through the back door and he said, two women immediately got up and went to her and hugged her and said to her, we heard your daughter accepted Jesus. We're so happy. And we wanted to see you and we're so glad you're here. Come and sit by us. We'll go closer to the front so that you can really see it. And they sat together. And did you know that that woman came to know Christ as Savior? But it wasn't because of the worship and it wasn't because of the preaching. It was because of the love of two people. That is this church. I think it doesn't matter who walks in our doors. I don't care I don't care what scenario you can make up when our people meet other people, our people are loving. I'm so proud. And here's what I want to say to you. Churches that are passionate, who know who they are, know what we're doing, know what our calling is, who know how to love people, that kind of church is blessed by God. And I'm just reminding us of that. There's a second thing I see in the passage is that a church who refuses to allow obstacles to stop it receives God's provision. There's always obstacles to everything. Your business, there's obstacles. To your family, there's obstacles. To our church, there are constant obstacles. Now, some of the obstacles that come to our church is because Satan is not enjoying what's happening. Here's all this blessing of God that is coming upon this church. And don't you know Satan is going to come against us? Don't you know he's looking for every weakness he can to come against us and stop us? But it's not always Satan. The truth is there are times that I think God even sets things up. I want, to, I want you to see whether you're going to really be willing to trust me and obey me in the obstacles. I want to see what you will do, and I want you to see. Are you going to trust me? You're going to obey me. This is the moment of truth. No matter what barrier we face, God has a solution for every roadblock, every one of them, and all we got to do is open our minds. Open our minds to God. A little girl named Carmen was born and she had so many things wrong with her left leg that they had to amputate the leg right after birth. I, I, wow, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine being the parents. 
but her parents are Christ followers, and she, so she, and she is too. And uh, her parents refused to allow their disappointment to stop them, and they refused to allow Carmen's disability to stop her. And so, guess what happened to Carmen? I want you to watch this video right now. Carmen Wilkie, a 10-year-old with a lot of grit. How do you feel? Tired. Tired? <laughs> and in yep. her first year, she actually set three national records. Carmen was born without her left fibula, outside metatarsal and pinky toe, leading to an amputation as a baby. But you'd never see it as an obstacle in Carmen's mind. Has anything ever stopped you? <laughs> no. Her and her dad, Michael, joining us from Nashville via Zoom, where she just got fitted for a new running blade. Carmen recently competed in the Endeavor Games and qualified in every event. So now they're off to Homewood, Alabama for nationals. It's been a very exciting and fun ride. It's been crazy at times, but very, very fun. It's serious stuff for Carmen, but she's just as excited about the friendships she's making along the way. I love being out here, being able to meet other people like me with disabilities. A local 10-year-old amputee is defying the odds. That is such an amazing story. And uh, Carmen has come to know the Lord and her parents are Christ followers. They actually live in Oklahoma and I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of how they have handled this whole thing. What happened to them is they opened their minds to new thoughts that they had never had before. And they changed the trajectory of Carmen's life and theirs. And the same thing has to happen to churches. We go through roadblocks. We experience things we weren't anticipating. We got to have open minds. God, what are you going to do? I'm going to think outside the box because I know one thing you don't want us to stop. That you've given us a call and you don't want us to stop. So 12 years ago, we were faced with the very same thing. We uh, had were trying to cram uh, 35, uh, 3,000 people in average attendance onto this property. Have you noticed we're a little landlocked here? We got somewhere between 12 to 15 acres and that's it. And we were trying to cram 3,000 people in average attendance on this property and it was becoming more and more difficult. We built the only last building you can build on this property. It's a new, this new building and it, uh, it's not new anymore, but it has been fantastic. It has been great, but we then couldn't park everybody. So we went to offsite parking. We even built a bus stop that is right outside the worship center right over here. And uh, we got buses that go all through all the time and help people get to their cars, get there here from the, the uh, offsite parking and back to it. It just works great. But we also ran out of even that ability. We were just so full. So what do you do? We took 300 of our members who lived in Missouri City in, in uh, Siena uh, Plantation, and we planted a new campus. Well, why not plant a new church? Because in our research, we discovered that right now, nine out of 10 churches that are planted, new churches, fail in years seven to 10. 
And there's reasons and rationale for it. But nine out of 10 new campuses still succeed. And because they're connected to the mother, to the sending church, uh, sending campus. So we decided to go that route because we wanted the greatest chance of success. And it did great. It was so strong. It was flourishing. But we realized they're not going to stay in this high school forever. It's the setup. It's the teardown. We began to look for land. And, but boy, the cost buying the land, then building all the buildings the millions of dollars, but we were looking and every time we got close to, we thought buying a piece of property, something fell through, something happened. We were so frustrated. What do we do? And suddenly on one Wednesday morning, we got a call from uh, a Colony Creek Community Church. They were going to sell their property. It's on Highway 6. It's a great location. And that they're going to choose who gets it four days from there. It's going to be by bidding, and whoever's the highest bidder gets the property. Well, look, think about that. A church like this, how do you do that? How do you even come to a bid four days later? It, there's not enough time. We went and looked at the property. We Please give us extra time. Yeah, maybe a couple of weeks or a month. Please do that. No, on Monday, we are accepting the bids and we're selling the property. We put together a plan and on Monday, we had a bid. It's unbelievable. A church that is a committee kind of church, that's so hard to pull off. And we won the bid. We were told between two or three churches and another business were all part of the bidding, and we just squeaked over the, the next bidder, and we won the bidding. And God opened up a piece of property. Now we run, that campus runs between seven to 800. And honestly, if we had a new worship center at Missouri City, it'd be 1,000 to 1,500. And I mean, no time. And God is so blessing that campus. And then we begin to backfill again on this campus. And we realize we got to do this all over again at Richmond Rosenberg. <clears throat> and so we found a piece of property. We renovated it. It cost us $5 million to do it the, the, uh, in uh, renting the property and doing the renovation. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's so magnificent. It works so well. And we sent another... Uh, 300 people to uh, Richmond Rosenberg live in that area and planted the next campus. But guess what? Just before we were ready to walk in, we were ready to start a 100 year pandemic arrived. I mean, just a few months before everybody's staying home, got masks, you don't do anything. And now we, we it's September, 2000, 20 and the whole world is upside down and it's now time and everybody from the outside of this church said to me that'd be dumb you don't start a, a, a new campus at during a pandemic that was ridiculous that would be ludicrous but we prayed about it we talked about it and decided we're starting this campus in the middle of a pandemic and we began in September it's the third year of anniversary that's coming up and it's flourishing it is growing it's flourishing and God is so using this church we've started a Spanish service it started with zero, and it's now over 150 in average attendance, and God is blessing that campus. And it can grow, and we, we will. You gotta get your legs and all that kind of stuff for a campus, and it'll just take off just like Missouri City. But listen to me. We had obstacles 
We had to trust God. We had to move forward. We had to get out of the box for God to keep providing for us. And we made that decision and God kept blessing us. By the way, we have now almost totally backfilled again. Now, is this it? Okay, we're done with the obstacles. Oh, we got so many obstacles right now, we don't even know what to do with them all. We will never have a time that we have no obstacles. We will never have a time in which there's no problems to solve. But in the midst of all of them, God has made us a promise, and that is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. We can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. He will always meet our needs. He will always provide for us. What we got to do is open our minds for God to bless. We'll always have obstacles. Here's the next thing I see in the passage. That a church that is united in Christ experiences God's anointing. Look at what he says in verse 14. And all of these with their minds in full agreement, devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer, waiting together. They were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, uh, and you shall receive power, and after that, the Holy, when the Holy Spirit comes, and you shall be my witnesses. So they were waiting. But while they were waiting, they came to full agreement. What does it mean? That word actually in the Greek means that they came to forgiveness and to unity. If you read through the Gospels, you start picking it up. You start picking up the undercurrent. These disciples were fighting every time they turned around. Did you know that? And in fact, just before the crucifixion, James and John, who were brothers, had their mother Go to Jesus and say, would you anoint my two sons to be the head disciples? Uh, that went over like a lead balloon with the rest of the disciples when they found out. They were fighting about something all the time. But what happened is they finally came to forgiveness. They finally came to unity. They didn't, didn't mean full agreement. Doesn't mean they agreed on every subject or everything. No, that's never going to happen with human beings. But they came together as one under the mission of Christ. They joined hands to be one family. They cleared relationships and they gave themselves to a deep common love for one another. 20 years ago, we could have never dreamt what was going to happen to this church. 20 years ago, we never dreamed in a million years what has happened to this church. We now have people from 90 different countries in this church. Just look around the room. Every shade of skin in this church. That was not the way it was 20 years ago. God has brought people from everywhere here. And the reason is because this whole region, it looks like we look here. And God has opened 
the door for this church to reach the region. We aren't a black church. We aren't an Asian church. We aren't an Hispanic church. We're not a white church. We are a heavenly church. And do you know why I say that? Because the moment you get to heaven, it will look just like this church. That's why. I know there are some who probably imagine we get to heaven, you know, I don't know what we're going to look like. It, it, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, John got a view of heaven around the throne of God in the book of Revelation in chapter 7 and chapter 11. And here's what John said. Oh, my soul. He didn't quite say that, but he said something similar. He said, around the throne is every language, every ethnicity, every kinds of people and tribe around the whole world. How did he know that by just looking? I think it's because he saw different shades of skin. When we get there, we'll find out. This is a heavenly church and God did this. And I've asked God why, because there was no strategy, there was nothing. It just emerged. And I've asked God why, and I'm going to tell you. See, you look at churches around the region. There's white churches, black churches, Asian churches, Hispanic churches. But in this church, it's different. Why? The only thing I've come up with is that in order to reach the region, you've got to look like the region. And God found a church. I'm not saying we're the only one. I don't know others, but I'm sure others. God, God found a church that he could trust to open their arms and say, we don't care what you skin, color your skin. We don't care about your ethnicity. We don't care about what country or what language you speak. We want to reach people for Christ. And because this church did that and God could trust us to do it, look what has happened. There's another thing, one last thing. A church that prays see God, sees God's power. And it's in the right order. See, you got to get your heart right with each other before God will hear your prayer. And that's what happened to them. They got their heart right, then God heard them. And that's what God does with us. We got to have our heart right. And then God hears our prayers. And so listen to how it says of all, all of these with their minds in full agreement devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer, waiting together, and the power of God fell. And all of this is who we want to be, who we are and who we want to be. We want to be a church that is outwardly focused. We want to accomplish the will of God. We want to be a church that is open-minded to the will of God and the provision of God. We want to be a church that is together. We will never think the same way about every subject. We will always have different opinions. We're human beings, for crying out loud. But there is something that ties us together. Let me tell you what it is. We have a mutual love for Jesus Christ. 
We have a mutual love for Jesus Christ, and that ties us together. We have a mutual love for the Word of God, and this church will never compromise God's Word. This church will never agree with a hedonistic, morally inept culture. We will never say that what God says is wrong is somehow now right because the culture says it is. We don't care what the culture says. We have a mutual love for the Word of God, and we're going to follow His Word no matter what. We have a love for Christ. We have a love for God's Word, and we have a love for God's mission, and we have committed ourselves to it. And that's what ties this church together and we want the power of God to fall upon us yeah that's who we are I just want to remind you and that is what we do and I'm asking God oh God see it's not the number we don't have a number in mind we don't care if anybody knows our name I don't care if anybody knows my name and I don't care about what number we are What we're trying to do is enlarge the size of heaven and make the most of our lives while we're here for God to use us. That's all we care about. And we're asking God, oh God, please keep going. Please keep using us. Please keep reaching the region and around the world. And oh God, please don't pass us by. God, please use us. That's what we want. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and we need a moment to say this is who we are, this is, and this is who we are individually, and say, God, you can use me. I want my life to matter, I, and part of that is that I want my life to matter for your cause. I want people to know Jesus because I lived, I existed. God, I pray that you would use, keep using our church, how you blessed us. It's amazing. It's, it's like, it's just unfathomable. But we ask that you'd keep going and keep using us. It's all we want. Enlarge the size of heaven. Bless this church and use us to be a light. You've made us to look like the region. And now, Lord, use us to reach the region and around the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.